Hi, this is Janelle Penny. I'm a contributing editor for Meetings Today. And today I'm here with Jim Henry, who is the healthcare sector leader at the global architecture firm Callison RTKL. And today we're going to be talking about what it takes to create temporary healthcare facilities and hospitality spaces. Jim, where are you seeing the most demand for this? Uh, hello, um, demand. You know, I think for us, um, one of the things that we're seeing is really just uh, more of a trickle-down effect, I would say. So we're starting at the, the triage process. So the very front end of, of access uh, for patients, um, we're seeing retrofitting existing spaces to handle surge capacity uh, inside existing healthcare facilities, probably first and foremost. Um, we're seeing new projects being brought online quicker to try to finish them, to try to handle the capacity. And I think third would be, uh, or later down, I guess fourth, would be looking at alternative care facilities like large convention centers, single room, uh, solutions like hotels or, or dormitories and then uh, modular solutions. Okay. So what kinds of overcapacity issues have clients come to you with in regards to healthcare and how do you approach problems like that? You know, the, our clients, you know, it's sort of twofold. One, you know, our clients were, were handling sort of the arc of, of this pandemic, right, and differently. Uh, the first few stages, I think we can kind of categorize as panic. Uh, so the panic mode, the prepare mode, and the respond mode. And most, if not all, of our clients have emergency preparedness plans as part of their protocols. Um, and so there was not a lot of panic, but there was, you know, a, a, a time period where they were trying to just figure out how to best mobilize. So uh, within that, uh, those were the three sort of areas that we sort of entered into the to the conversation with them it was in one of those three one of those three the three places um, so what we did right was um, several things one is to accelerate design and construction like I mentioned previously um, we we helped several of our clients with projects that were ongoing uh, specifically uh, finish out um, some soft space within a, a facility to add more bed capacity um, we helped mobilize protocols for field hospitals. Um, we worked with uh, temporary space triage. Um, we activated uh, decommissioned space. If it was, you know, it had been a hospital room and been trans transitioned into something else, we went back in and, and retrofitted that uh, from an equipment perspective mostly. Um, and then we also helped the, um, the Corps of Engineers on a new prototype that was Using uh, the pod container uh, company uh, as a as a as a mobile unit uh, that could be uh, used as really a single patient isolation room um, was was the uh, sort of the the most recent uh, activity that we did and that was all framed really from a, a field guide we created our own um, field conversion guide that informed each one of these uh, protocols. Um, and then you ask, I think you ask about how we approach that. Uh, I think one of the things that we tried to do was not um, avoid overcomplicating things, right? I think as designers, we, we have a tendency as the way we cope with things is to be super creative and to try to design new solutions or new paradigms. Uh, we, we worked really hard to, to look for quick mobilization solutions uh, and things that would be most impactful. And so, 
um, the, 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 the quick hits, the things that were easy to accomplish uh, with, the, with, the, uh, with the healthcare providers, uh, those were the most impactful because it, it meant that they were able to bring those things online very quickly. The things that required more lag time or lead time um, were things like the, um, the development of the prototype for uh, an isolation room. Those things take longer to, to gestate, and so those were the sort of last to come to market. What kind of challenges do you typically run into when you're converting some of these different types of spaces into field hospitals or um, other healthcare facilities? You mentioned, you know, a timeline, but are there others? Yeah, I mean, I think that, that there's lots of challenges. I mean, I think the, um, you know, the creativity to, to assign, hey, w what if, you know, hey, we could, we could turn this space into a healthcare space and what would it what would it really take to do that i think when you start to actually implement that what we're seeing is that there are additional challenges beyond just the creative sort of problem solving and some of those realities are just availability of materials right so we can have a great idea but then being able to bring those ideas to 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 fruition may be you have to pivot based off of what's available in the marketplace especially when you know uh, goods and goods and services are hard to come by because um, you know you've got supply chain issues or just availability of materials, uh, even temporary shelters like we were seeing people wanting to you know hospitals wanting to use uh, temporary shelters and, and those were being you know bought up or at least brought into uh, into um, into use and so we had to think differently. Um, I think also availability and and also quality of space. So going into convention centers or, you know, large open area spaces is one thing, but transforming parking lots or open spaces adjacent to hospitals is something different, right? So you have to think, especially in a dense urban environment. So you have to think about, um, you know, how level is the ground, for instance? How do we, so we don't get workplace injuries, moving patients and carts and, and other things. Uh, how do you get, um, uh, you know, how do you prepare for inclement weather? You know, all of these things from a drainage perspective, just from a site, are things you have to think about. And um, there's engineering systems, right, depending on whether it's a, a, a convention center or an alternate. You really have to think through all the systems that you would, if you were designing a hospital, to kind of double-check yourself to make sure that you're providing uh, the, the right quality of, of infrastructure to support patient care and so you have to look at you know emergency power uh, the, the the HVAC you know we've, we've all learned a lot about negative airflow over the last you know two months uh, and so how how we how are we going to treat the air how clean the air how do we maintain uh, negative airflow uh, understanding the availability of data uh, knowing that we'll be using more portable gases and portable equipment so that's different than we would inside of a hospital so each one of those comes with its own sort of uh, issues that you have to think about. Let's take a deeper dive into some of these challenges and some of these facility types. Um, I think you mentioned event spaces, and I've been reading about how places like the Javits Center are kind of being pulled into service as field hospitals to treat people who have COVID-19. What does it take for an event space to become an emergency care facility? Yeah, I mean, I think you, you've seen some heroic efforts out there by, you know, the Army Corps of Engineers, FEMA, design teams, construction teams, the healthcare teams, they're all looking to sort of help mobilize very quickly and 
I think they're it's commendable uh, what they've been able to do. I think there's the the obvious things like we you know that we would think about just like logistics of people, equipment, supplies, uh, finding the right facility, uh, making sure there's a funding source right that's going to pay for this conversion, and so it's just not out of the pocket of uh, uh, the healthcare provider who's trying to plan for a surge, but um, you know, you need to have to identify that facility. So one that has adequate parking, you know, we think about loading docks, uh, access to food services, access to supplies, vendors, uh, vendors, laundry services, all the things that need to keep the machine running. Um, we have to think about uh, the flow of people and goods and services, right? So that there's triage, appropriate triage for, for patients coming in. Um, and, and, and the logistics of goods and services coming in and out, um, as well as thinking about just administrative protocols for, for how, to, how to protect the caregivers. Um, when we look at a large convention center, you know, one of the things that, that there's a lot of benefits because you can source a lot of people and resources in one location. Um, so you can double up on your nursing staff and you can double up on your, on, you know, on just having all of that happen in one location versus being spread out over multiple facilities. So like at the Javits Center with a thousand beds, it's all in one location. But you know, you're also in that situation, everyone's breathing the same air. And so I think some of the biggest issues have to do with the overall systems like HVAC, how you clean the air, you scrub it, you're using HEPA filters and other, um, you know, recirculating air tools um, in order to, to clean the air as best as possible. You know, you're going to have to, in, in some you know convention centers, a lot of them have emergency power backup. But if not, you needed to bring additional emergency power in, uh, and how you safely distribute that power. Um, you know, making sure that there's enough data for widespread communication, uh, which is different, you know, bandwidth than you know for a concert. You know, which is in many cases a concert or a convention space. It's all internal versus being you know reporting out or pushing that information out. Uh, and then there's the need to bring in a lot of portable, uh, you know, hand washing stations, showers, toilets, um, all of those things, both for patients and staff, uh, that you, you know, you wouldn't just be able to say, hey, go over and use the, the main, the main, um, the main system because the patients aren't in the ambulatory; they're connected up to uh, to ventilators or or they're being monitored. Um, so you have to think differently, right? Just about mobility and, and gases and equipment. Um, you have to think about. Uh, I mentioned some of the emergency uh, administrative protocols earlier, but you have to think about entrances and overall security. Um, how you are going to clean and disinfect uh, this, the, the place? Uh, how you divide up for for patients' privacy? Uh, and you have to think about life safety. So all of this is, is different than you would have, I guess, in a normal life cycle or not life cycle but the the normal uh you know traditional use of that space um yeah and i think you know when you're yeah i think that, that those are really the things you have to think differently about definitely so speaking of hospitality facilities a lot of luxury hotels are closed now too have you heard of any hotels being brought into service during the pandemic either as additional healthcare beds or even just to give frontline workers a place to stay to not bring the virus home? Right. You know, I think that the, the latter is what you're seeing more from because there's just this, this concern for healthcare workers to want to, uh, to protect their family. 
right? They're working crazy hours. They may be commuting. So being able to stay closer to the facility and to, to really isolate themselves from their loved ones, uh, I think is, is probably what you're seeing the most of. You know, we did, and I mentioned we did a, our field hospital guide um, that looked at transforming different types of facilities into, uh, into healthcare uh, facilities. And one of those, obviously, that we, we came to first was hotels, just for what you mentioned. There's a business need, uh, you know, how can we help the economy uh, and, and help hotels stay operational? What, what if we turn those into, to, uh, into hospital beds? Um, and, you know, we have in-house to Calcin RTK, we both have, we have healthcare and hospitality. And so we teamed up uh, to think about what that could look like. Um, and, and so because of that, we, 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 we put together our understanding of what it would take. But I think the biggest thing that we, you know, a couple of hurdles that we talked about was one that there's in, in hospitals, there's a lot of ownership challenges because it's not just the, the flag, like a, you know, a Hilton or a Marriott or, you know, um, a Hyatt, but there's potentially a lot of other investors that are in, involved in that. And so getting all of them on board to, to sort of turn their facility into a COVID-ready facility uh, was, is probably a, one of the hurdles that you have to overcome. Uh, and so for that, I think it's easier to, to look at the later ladder, you know, that you mentioned earlier, which is allowing it to be used for just typical hospital stay or hotel stay rather for, 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 uh, for caregivers in isolation versus trying to really convert it into a, 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 a hospital. But we have gone down the road of trying to figure it out. Uh, and um, not only for the discussions here in the United States, but you know, there are opportunities around the world uh, that they're looking into as well. There's been some speculation about transforming shopping centers as well. What would be involved in creating a place of healing in a shopping center? You know, I think that they're similar to what you would look at in a, um, in a, uh, in an overall convention center. You know, I think you have to look at the, the, uh, the overall systems. Um, you know, I think you have to look at, uh, you know, is there power? Is there, um, uh, is there, you know, ability to, um, you know, have logistics coming in and out of the facility. I think there's, you know, there's adequate parking, which is a, a benefit. There's usually loading docks. There could be access to food, uh, like we mentioned earlier. Uh, I think that the, the biggest challenges, though, have to do around emergency power um, and, uh, you know, achieving the right level of air quality. Sure. What would you have to do from that standpoint? How would you have to transform your typical shopping center? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, assuming, right, that we are uh, considering like a, 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 a retail environment that is like a department store of a shopping center, right, that's not being utilized uh, for, for retail. Um, that so if you have a big empty you know you know existing department store that, that's not being actively used so it doesn't have all the retail inside of it you know i think you'd want to make sure that you can bring the emergency power in they're not going to have the emergency generator set up that you may have in a, in a large event space uh, that you may uh, see in some of the others um you know you do have the adequate parking you know they, they're not going to have you'd have to set up some of the uh, emergency shelter for triage differently, so you're doing that outside of the facility. 
versus just bringing them into the shopping center. Um, in a, an overall convention space, you usually have more, um, you'll have more ways to do that around the open um, open space versus in a shopping center, you come in and it's just one big volume. Uh, so separating those out would be important. Um, you know, um, the the idea of loading docks, you know, they're in many cases, they're going to be one or two loading docks for a, a mall, but they're going to be moved separately from the existing, you know, uh, shopping department store. And so you may have to create temporary loading and unloading in closer proximity to that one, uh, that one space. Uh, you may have to create covered, covered area for drop-off, uh, like we said earlier, as part of that triage process. Um, and then, and then in, inside you'd be organizing in a very similar way. You know, the, the the biggest challenge I think with the HVAC, and that's why, you know, we were brought in to help with the uh, prototype for the Army Corps of Engineers with the pod concept is that you're, you, we, we, we do our best to, with PPE and with, uh, you know, mechanical means to sort of ventilate uh, and bring in uh, the best air possible for our caregivers. But in, you're still breathing, you know, in some cases you might be breathing the same air. And so the pod concept that we created really allows for isolation, those, each of those individual pods to be isolation rooms. And so it's a more of a negative airflow and cleaning the air uh, for that individual patient, so it really helps protect the um, the caregiver. And so I think that in, in those scenarios, you know, being able to, to set up shop and set up the caregiving space for patients is one thing, but how you protect the uh, the caregiver is the next level of conversation. Absolutely. That brings me to my next question. What else can we learn about healthcare design from this current challenge? Are there ways that um, standard approaches are failing us that you found or even just uh, more opportunities for innovation that you've noticed popping up? Yeah, I mean, I think, uh, so let me ask you, let me clarify if you don't mind. The, what can we learn from healthcare design that would improve healthcare design or what can we improve because of this crisis that could improve designing healthier spaces in other places? What, what are you specifically looking for? Um, you know, I think either one of them is a valid question. What can we learn about healthcare design in general, and what can we yeah. learn to get us through this current challenge? Yeah, I think I think specifically for uh, healthcare design, um, you know, one of the the biggest things that I, I think takeaway is that we we need to you know uh, consider triage differently uh, for just how patients enter people, all people, and this is probably something that can cross over both both uh, health and non, you know, clinical and non-clinical spaces is just how we monitor the health of people entering into a space is something that we, we need to consider, right? And so, um, you know, right now we, we leave it up to every, everyone's own personal, um, you know, judgment on how they, uh, how they you know, mix with other people. Uh, specifically in, in healthcare, we're going to want to be able to divert people that are, you know, relatively healthy and unhealthy in different pathways. Uh, within the healthcare facility, uh, and you may decide to do something similar uh, in a uh, in your in your workplace uh, in your retail as well. I think we're we're from a healthcare design. I think we've we've also seen the um, the need to be able to have more system wide control and more flexibility 
um, in, our, in our spaces. Uh, you, you know, there was already a trend in that way from healthcare perspective to for your patient rooms to be flexible and adaptable to, to, to be able to, you know, flex to the different demands. I think having a, an HVAC system or a mechanical systems and protocols that are able to adapt easily as well uh, will be really important. And then the ability for them to flip back and, and be flexible and, and maybe used in a, in a different way. Um, and so I think single source uses um, in the future are, are things that, um, you know, we'll, we'll see limited, uh, or I shouldn't say limited, but you, you'll see a, a shift, I think, in, in making more uh, spaces flexible and adaptable for different types of uses as well, not just, um, you know, for one thing relative to workplace or residential, but something that may have the ability to flex more. Uh, you know, um, I think just in general, I think we we are seeing, you know, more uh, focus on our own individual health throughout this process. And so how that, um, you know, how does the spell, space that we're designing uh, reflect, you know, um, better health? You know, it, it's not just going to be about how many people can we put in a space from a density perspective or, um, you know how much revenue can we can we push out of a, of a single space but but what's the quality of the space what's the experience what's uh, how is that space also um, benefiting my my personal health and well-being uh, I think those are things that you're going to uh, need to see uh, and that we will come to expect out of uh, out of space just like we've come to expect out of different brands that we associate with, you know, and, and, and what we expect out of them. I think you're going to see the same thing as it relates to, to spatial design and, and the overall wellness and well-being that you that you will be able to achieve or expect when you're in that space. Are there any other insights you'd like to share with the audience or anything else you'd like to add? You know, I, I, I think just, you know, building on that last comment just around, um, you know, that they're really, I think, a shift in just the value proposition uh, or the ROI of well-being and wellness. Um, you know, obviously, the, the work that I do primarily focuses in healthcare and healthcare architecture. But, you know, because uh, of our firm and, and how we look at um, how we look at the overall um, you know, environment, right? We have urban planning, we have workplace, we have residential, we have hospitality, uh, we have uh, shopping and entertainment districts, we have, uh, you know, senior living, we, we, and we have healthcare. And so we, we really are looking at an entire spectrum of, of, of improving life, right? And I think we can use this as an opportunity to, to look at, you know, larger uh, issues relative to design and how we might um, how we might design a better system, right? Coming out of this, uh, so that may require you know more public-private partnerships. Uh, it may require us to you know I don't think we can just look to the to to the government or to the healthcare systems to to sort of be ready to uh, you know be on point if there is another crisis because we know there there will be right there will be something else that uh, that comes up. And, and so I think that will mean that we need to look at, you know, other collaborations that may require legislation or, or licensing, different financial institutions, tax subsidies, all of those things that can come together to solve a bigger issue, right? And so 
as we look to bring all of our partners together and as we look to, to all the places where life happens that we touch from a design practice, we hope to, to use that as an opportunity to, to really look at the broader social impacts, but also the broader, you know, healthcare impacts that can, can, can move closer into the communities uh, and move past just, um, I'd say, sick care, but really looking to improve overall health and well-being. Excellent. Well, Jim, thank you so much for joining me today. This has been really interesting. Yeah, thank you. I uh, appreciate the time, and uh, we look forward to seeing what happens post uh, this crisis. And uh, I think we, we, we have some lessons learned that we can all take to the, to the next, uh, next opportunity that's out there. Thank you. Absolutely. And thanks to everyone for listening. We'll see you next time.